Hey, it's dynamic, dynamic times. Welcome to uh, another walk with Buddy. Buddy's owner, Arizona Schnoodle Walks. Bud's hair is getting longer. Oh yeah, Bud, let's get the harness on. Gotta get your harness, a nice red harness on your black coat. It's getting longer. We love the coat. And the sun's still up. It's uh, 519. Saturday night, November 16th, and the weather is quite warm, probably not where you are in this world. This is Arizona's prime time, baby, 64 degrees Fahrenheit, probably a little bit humid, oh, kind of dry, 18%, 64.18, four grins, let's figure out what the dew point is, 64.18, and we get a little dew point of, what do we have, oh, 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 21 degrees on the dew point and as i've mentioned in the past like dew points when it's like above 80 degrees that's when dew points make a big difference so whoa squirted a little bit of daytime ipa we're doing some we're doing some drinking on this uh podcast mm. yeah my new favorite beer daytime ipa it's only 4% alcohol, 98 calories, three carbs, delicious. Mm. So the downfall of the IPAs are they're usually like six, seven, eight percent alcohol. So they, it's just, it's just so too strong. So I don't know if there's rules in Phoenix. I don't, I've never heard of any. I'm in a residential area. I'm walking bud, drinking a beer, drinking a beer. The daytime, it's got a, bent nail on the can and they always have these funny sayings i always like these guys they're kind of funny this is says instantly his life flashed before my eye leaving more answers than questions plus the hammock was toast yeah that's kind of like something you would say after a six pack of this stuff Mm. so saturday and an event happened yesterday. It was kind of weird. I was on the last podcast. I was kind of I had this gut feeling about the corporate America job, the big, like Fortune 50, like 50 billion, 100 billion dollar company. That that it wasn't. Uh, there's a chance that that ain't going to work out. And I felt good because I felt like, well, I got to the uh, screening stage. And when I left it, the uh, my impression was that they were going to take a couple weeks, take a couple weeks, and uh, maybe watch some other people's videos. They like my videos, so I was good on video, I guess. <laughs> so that's a plus. But anyways, late Friday afternoon, I got a LinkedIn message. So fortunately, actually, I read the LinkedIn message first, but actually I got a computer-generated rejection note to uh, my screening. So the nice thing about the LinkedIn thing was, um, I'll tell you that in a moment. So basically the, the traditional rejection is, you know, hey, we're looking at other candidates, blah, blah, blah. You're not selected. But this was kind of weird because of the way it all well, flowed down, I guess you'd say, the flow down. Hmm. 
And for your entrepreneurs out there, sorry, you have to, you're probably like shrugging your shoulders like, oh, you know, job applications. I really don't care. I don't really care about the job applications. Some running dogs coming down the hill. You okay there? Are you okay? <laughs> All right, good luck with that. Two big dogs, no harnesses. So that, the harnesses are nice because, like, uh, you can clearly grab them at the chest level on the dogs. So entrepreneurs out there listening, this is job search, job stuff. And I and I, I enjoyed talking on the screen. You know, I, I enjoyed doing the videos and got to this point, so I felt pretty good. Screen, you know, I could carry on the conversation. I know what I'm talking about. It's international foreign military sales type stuff. So I, I can do it. And it ended with, yeah, we'll probably, you know, you know, she's flying off to Dubai air show, you know, big deal, you know, go to do the air show, Dubai, <laughs> as you do, as you do. And uh, so I thought, well, I don't know how this is going to shake out, but maybe I'll get flown into Connecticut in uh, after Thanksgiving. That's what I left with me. But less than 20, well, no, 24 hours later, rejection. But the nice thing was, the good news on it was, um, the, they, didn't, they don't tell you in the computer-generated rejection, but the recruiter at this company was kind enough to send me a personal note in LinkedIn, which she's probably not supposed to do. But she told me they picked an internal candidate which is really smart for them to do too. If you have an internal candidate, bringing in someone from outside is risky, right? You don't know, don't know them that well. So in a position like this one too, it's rather important to uh, know the people already, if you can. And I, I mean, I'm fully capable of developing relationships quickly anyways, but. So I got beat out. I feel better I got beat out by an internal candidate. And I think I'm actually probably better than the internal candidate but i don't i mean how that's kind of it's better for me to think that way right i got it's like a lot of the stuff as we struggle with confidence so it's not that i'm better it's just i have to be better be not not in other words the, the internal candidate's low risk right the internal candidate's probably been there 10 15 years 20 years so why bring someone from outside you know risky hmm but they maybe they have to do it you know say that they looked outside and so I'm I'm just glad that I was told and I got good feedback from the recruiter the recruiters like hey let's stay in touch in the new year there'll be some other jobs so I'm letting it go and I feel good about it I'm like you know that that was electronics again avionics that stuff's it's probably really good for selling because electronics gets upgraded um, more than the aircraft does in the engine. So um, that's nice. Mm. So did I have any other epiphanies? I mean, I just kind of 
it's, it's a disappointment, right? And, uh, but on the other hand, I, my gut feeling was kind of like, eh, I'm not feeling great about this. I had that romantic feeling about the New Zealand stuff, but that's just, that's, I got, I got, I'm just a romantic thinker sometimes. And, uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And other people in this job search community I kind of hang with, I was able to share that story with people and say, you know, we, it's, it's, uh, yeah, there's jobs posted that we apply for and we get excited about. And yes, there's internal candidates that quite often get the job. And yes, they probably do it because they have to. But look at it as an opportunity. Look, at it's an opportunity to, you know, practice your skills. And I think we just have to be like twice as good as the internal candidate, you know, offer something that is unique or different. And it might click. Or, you know, as long as I am professional and uh, make a good impression, uh, the hiring manager picked up on the fact that I'm really an engine person, not an avionics, but there's mechanical stuff too that she was selling. So, I mean, it could have worked out, but it didn't. And I keep going. And the thing is about cash flow. I mean, I hate burning up all my savings, right? You know, they say you should have like six months to a year's, you know, money available. And I pretty much have that. I just, I'm just cheap. I don't like burning it up, man. It's, it hurts. But um, let's see what happens next, you know. So I still got some things going. Got some other interest. And I'm noticing, like, here's a, here's a case where I was actually, they actually sought me out through LinkedIn instead of me applying. And yet I get all these emails because I'm on, like, Indeed and different job search things. There's like, oh, apply for this. Oh, apply for this. And it's like, it's just everybody knows the applicant tracking system is a computer system that's broken. So really, if a company really wants to hire talent, some good talent, they need to go look for it. And they often use recruiters. And uh, so I should be found. You know, I'm doing looking too. You got to kind of do it all. Howdy. That's a cutie. Cute dog. So it's not quite dark yet, but the weather's beautiful. This is the time of year. We love Arizona, folks. November to May, almost June 1st. Beautiful country. Beautiful skies. No hurricanes, no tornadoes, no floods. There's some floods in some weird areas, but not in the highly populated areas. Mm. Freeway's getting closer to finish. And uh, so we'll see how that goes. So what else is going on in our lives? So, yeah. Yeah, what was that? Gonna, I had some thoughts on the distribution curve. I'm just not. So many of you are like so more advanced in many areas than I am, which is good. It's fine. But that's that's part of the, the giftedness because I'm probably like way ahead of others. I'm, I have my outlier stuff, too. Right. But there's some emotional thing. It's a family thing. 
and I just have never been good at it. But uh, today's example of that for me was our grandson, Jackson, born on September 3rd, uh, turned out he's uh, had a heart surgery yesterday. He's got holes in his heart, which I guess is becoming more and more common. And uh, it's kind of a tear-jerking story a bit. Like, how soft is my heart? You know, I'm like, I'm kind of a strange dude. I'm like, I'm, I'm sensitive as hell. But I probably have this exterior <laughs> image that I'm just, that looks like I'm an asshole or something. I don't know. But uh, it's all judgment, right? And perceptions, man. Perception is reality. Well, it's the reality of the perceiver, but it's not, may not be true. So my, uh, my son is kind of touching, you know, my, my wife's different and wants to push a little bit of religion on people. And I'm not that way. So, but he's not, he kind of rejected, but he's kind of off now that the, his son, his son has got this serious heart thing and just went through heart surgery, which is pretty amazing. It all turned out good so far. It's been 24 hours. And, you know, he's kind of like asking his mom, my wife, you know, like, hey, when Cameron, so I have another son who's 20. And when he was two and a half, he came down with ALL, which is uh, a leukemia type. So we actually, that's kind of in a way cancer is worse than this heart surgery. I mean, I'm not trying to minimize anything here, but the heart surgery is the heart surgery. And now it's done. It's mechanical. It's not a disease. It's not throughout your whole body type of thing. Whereas our son was cancer and chemo and all kinds of stuff. And uh, he's a survivor. So that's amazing. But it was kind of weird, weird and cool at the same time. So we were just at the hospital. Mm. At the hospital. And um, I thought, well, this is the Children's Carden Hospital. And uh, where our... Our youngest son at two and a half was, he was in there for cancer. So after he had about a year or two of his cancer, maybe three, he was like five years old, maybe. They had been um, expanding the children's hospital and the cancer pediatric oncologist was the lead guy there. And they eventually opened up a, a full, a, a more capable, rounded pediatric oncology unit and building and facilities. So they had a ribbon cutting ceremony. And so they asked Cameron or my son, Cameron, to go cut the ribbon. So he was five years old. And there's the doctor that he had, Panchu Singh, which is a fun name to say. And even more fun name to try to spell it. Good dude from India via Caribbean somehow, the Caribbean family history. Smart, great doctor. So he led the protocols on our youngest son's cancer recovery. And so now his nephew is having heart surgery in the same place. It's kind of cool. And uh, uh, they took a photo of him cutting the ribbon when he was five. So that's like 15 years ago. And still there. They got a photo on the wall. So that's kind of 
touching this afternoon. I said, hey, let me go see if the photo's still down there in the hospital. And sure enough, there's Cam's <laughs> five years old. So now Cam's 20, ASU college student, chemical engineering. He uh, needs to get to the hospital, see his nephew and his brother and check out the heart surgery and stuff. So yeah, yeah, that's that's real life stuff, man. Real life stuff. And uh, this is where you know I I don't know I just I, I I think about it. I'm like, well, our family with all these cancers and now this heart surgery, we just kind of kind of roll with it. It's like we're not really special people at all. We just kind of you get hit with these things. And you somehow you deal with it, and then something else comes along, and you kind of just deal with that too. Deal with it. And uh, it's kind of bonding thing too. So um, even the daughter-in-law, the mother of Jackson, you know, she's kind of warming up to the fact that she's like kind of surprised, like, holy cow. That's Cam's. He's up on the wall here. He's in the same hospital. We got my own son, Jackson, getting a heart surgery. And here's my brother-in-law's five-year-old picture on the wall. Cutting the ribbon. Cutting the ribbon for the pediatric oncology unit. So that's a pretty cool story. It really is. And my involvement is... I just rode the whole, the whole thing, and was did my best to be supportive and stick with it. And man, kind of a miracle, miracle thing going on there. And just prior to that, we were uh, had lunch with my 94-year-old mother, who coincidentally is like a mile and a half away from this hospital in Friendship Village, where all the old people are. So you got a little touch, a couple hours touch with the old folks. And uh, yeah, <laughs> when you get to be in your 50s and you go visit 90 year olds and you start feeling young again. So that's the trick. But one of the tricks to staying, feeling young is to hang out with old people. <laughs> Especially if you get a whole group of them together, hundreds of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, how does this help you? You got your own hero life. I don't know. I guess women are just more social. I don't know if it's social or compassionate. I guess I'm growing in compassion. I guess that would be the thing. It's just... Just Gaussian curve again. Not, I mean, I've, I probably live so much in the black and white. Kind of like I was talking about the meaning of life is not just one black and white meaning to life. It's like changes all the time. So take the pressure off, folks. But, and then guys, we're just men. We're just kind of, we just really lack the compassionate view. We're just so, at least for me, I've just been so intense, way too intense about um, financial security and things and um, lack thereof, right? I mean, 
there's nothing like challenging your your views of finances of not having a job, right? So I joked to this one Polish lady. It's like, yeah, I'm living no paycheck to no paycheck. <laughs> so, so, so many people complain about living paycheck to paycheck. Wait till you try living, try living no paycheck to no paycheck. So that's, that's my life right now. <laughs> and entrepreneurialism. Okay, so here we go. So a lot of you are entrepreneurs, but really I'm becoming convinced that really, aren't we all, even, even if you're working for a paycheck, salary slave, you're still the best way to look at your job is that you are a business of one. Even though you may work for a company, you're still a business of one. Develop your skills, keep getting better, contribute, add value, figure out how to best add value. Where can you add the most value and get the most credit for your value that you add, right? Yeah, there's shysters out there in the world who will take advantage of your value. They will extract more value out of you and not compensate you. So that's where it's better to be an entrepreneur if you have several clients, right? If you have, you know, even if you have like three clients, six clients, 10 clients, 20 clients, the more clients you have, and a client is, you know, just a fancy word for, hey, you're providing a service, you're adding value, you negotiate and exchange your knowledge, your experience, what you're going to offer for for money. So if they have more clients than one goofball client, uh, doesn't kill you, right? But when you have only one client, like you work for a company and you have one boss, that's your, uh, I don't know, that's what happened to me, I suppose. I had one client and he hated me. So... <laughs> So, so I'm kind of kind of stuck, you know. It's not fair. Well, it's not fair in the entitlement job corporate thing. But if I twist it around and just say, well, you got to think of your customer, and figure out how to better serve and sell, better serve and sell your customers. It's better to have more than one customer. That's for sure. And if you can build that up, and I, have never, I haven't done it, so I don't I haven't done that, so I can't speak from experience, but some of you listening do. I mean, I'm, I'm down on the Gaussian curve, man. I'm like low experience on this. I, I, and this is kind of weird because most people don't have this mentality anyway, so maybe I'm above the curve, right? Like I mean, I'm, I'm actually meant, mentally, I'm above the um, midpoint. But uh, real entrepreneurs are actually doing business are pretty much in the outlier zone, you know, they get it. So this is a acknowledgement to entrepreneurs listening that, Hey, you guys are doing great. Keep going. Be thankful. You know, you may have a client and I might even be your client. That's a pain in the ass. So (laughs) just be thankful. You have other clients that aren't such a pain in the ass. Right. But, you you know, you can put up a little bit of pain in the ass. You know, see if it looks worthwhile. Mm. So that is the 
value add for the podcast listener today. You know? That doesn't look good, bud. Um, so, it's Saturday night. Watched a great movie last night, by the way. It was called The Lady Eve. 1941 classic. And so 1941 classic, we're talking 78 years ago or something. 77 years ago. 78. And Barbara Stanwyck and Henry Ford. And I might have seen the movie before. It's a good chance. And uh, 78 years that I might have seen it. Howdy. And uh, so um, it just caught my attention on Turner Classic Movies last night. And Dennis Miller is now doing hosting some things. And Rita Wilson. And I didn't know Rita Wilson. She's They're both really clever at introducing the movie. And she's married to Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Who, when I do my, like, Myers-Briggs personality thing, I'm a ENTP, which apparently is also Tom Hanks. And I I haven't yet seen the connection between Tom Hanks and myself. Uh, But maybe there is. I don't know. I mean, he's an actor, right? So he's really good at that, and he plays different roles. So I don't know when you, when an actor plays a role, are we seeing, are we actually seeing their real personality? And uh, I don't think we do. So his ENTP personality, I think, has got to be his real, everyday human, the way he is. And imagine he's such a great actor that he can play an INSFS or something, you know. He can play an introverted dude or something, right? It's just that's the real Tom Hanks is probably an ENTP. So, Rita Wilson, talking about the movie. Anyway, so really funny, funny movie in a way. And it's like... I noticed, I was like, wow, this really speaks to me right now in my life situation, this movie. And it's a 78-year-old movie. And it just, it just, I just enjoyed it. It was just like, I got rejected, right, in the afternoon. And I'm like, I can't do anything about it. I, you know, and I was like, I felt like, you know what? I did damn well, man. I did a great job. I did the video interviews. I got to this point. And I bet I was the only external candidate that they talked to because they already, they dumped me right away. <laughs> no. I mean, and I don't, I believe the recruiter. It said an internal candidate. So there you go. So I'm like, well, should I feel bad about that? No. Should I be bitter about it? Like, oh, suck. They hired an internal candidate. No, you can't do that. That's a smart thing for them to do. They got a good internal candidate and the internal candidate and I are different. And I bring 
a very different experience to the table, but that's not called for right now. The internal candidate is what fits the need. It's the lowest risk thing. So I did it. So I'm, I felt good. So anyway, so I'm watching a movie. Uh, my wife went to a women's church dinner thing. And, uh, you know, which is good. And uh, uh, so we'll see how that goes. I really don't. I, I mean, it's kind of weird because I don't know how many people really notice that I'm not. I, don't, I just don't go anymore. And I, I just I can't go because I get triggered, triggered. So I'm not going to go. I just I just like maybe I'm stubborn, whatever, but. It's fine. It's like, it's in a weird thing. I'm not going to buckle under their church discipline crap. And I just read this week in Hebrews, like God's the one that disciplines us. It's not these men. It's not these elders that do church discipline. Like they've got it all figured out. It's God, you know? And then and like, if they think that, oh yeah, we're doing church discipline because God's working through us to discipline you, you know? And it's like, I I still don't know. There's nothing specific other than, oh, well, you're contentious, unruly, and uh, contrarian, right? All three things are, are like, the only the only tricky one is the unruly one because that's in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. But that's a bad translation that the guy's using because it's talking about a guy that won't work, which I'm kind of caught in a bind because I actually don't have a job. But I'm not. It's not because I'm idle, and I'm not trying. So I reject the notion that that applies to me. But they're hiding behind that with their own self-imposed false teaching. So they can shove it up their ass, you know. And that's the way Christians should be more. We should have much more confidence in our faith and beliefs, and realize these guys that want to be your shepherd, shepherd the flock, and protect. I'm here to protect you, and even. Even the guy told me, and my wife used that language, well, I'm protecting you. It's like, well, who the fuck? Who the fuck needs those people to protect me from what? Other people's perceptions? You know? Because I don't fit the boundary marker of what they want. It's like, gosh, dude, what, what God do they believe in? You know? No, oh, no, that's impossible, Mike. We can't look at leaving the denomination. That's impossible. Yeah, well, something's wrong here because you teach every week about how nothing is impossible with God, the Creator. You couldn't give a crap about these stupid denominations. And yet, the ego, it's just natural. It's the black slice. It's the flesh. Every priest, minister, pastor wants to justify their existence no different than a corporate weenie like I've been, you know? We just got to justify our existence. And for me, on the distribution curve, this is where my faith is challenged to grow. So, yeah. Let's see how that plays out. <laughs> I'm just, I mean, I, I sent... I had a nice little email from reading Hebrews and about how God disciplines us. 
And I, I was going to fire off an email to one of the elders and say, oh, I know you're trying to do church discipline on me, but uh, actually, my friend, it's God who disciplines me. And you know what? I don't think you're letting God discipline you because you asked up the scriptures yourself and you're a false teacher, dude. Oh, 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 maybe. I, hey, elder, you need to come to me and beg me for forgiveness, not the other way around, pal. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's not going to go too well, so I have to let it go. But I feel better letting it out on the podcast. Just letting it out on the podcast. So blinders. Back. I got to get back to my blinders and not be contrarian and all this stuff. And, uh, well, I mean, what's the positive side? What's the better way? What's the better way of doing things? Well, that's what I'm working through. And I'm, I'm recognized it's not my way or the highway. It's just let's let's uh, accept one another, love one another. I mean, I don't feel like I'm being loved at all. So I'm being ostracized. But I'm done. I've I've like broke free. So I'm ahead of the game, so to speak. And it's a bit tough because my wife's not really with me. We don't know how to. I don't know how to communicate it to her, but I just kind of glanced at a Netflix guy who's got a new book coming out. And even his, his wife didn't believe in his Netflix idea. Look what happened to that. So, I mean, I guess, you know, Rob Bell's right. We're out on the curb, the hymn for the curb. You got to just go do your thing. And uh, you may not get a lot of support early on. That's the entrepreneur's dilemma you know and they we're all entrepreneurs everybody listening I don't you know I'm still looking for a job but it's a process you know and if I was 25 and I had these ideas maybe it'd be easier to just launch headfirst into entrepreneurialism but all the tools that are available now weren't there then. So it's a little different. I'm, I'm up against a different challenge, you know, the mindset change, all kinds of stuff. And that's good. I'm making little progress, two steps forward, one step back, two step forwards, one step back. And uh, yeah, I make some steps back and then I ruminate on those. So I sent a note to these two people that love me. I got actually have two people that love me <laughs> at my old job where I used to work. So I, I kind of stay in touch with them because they're pretty cool. But I told them about the Lady Eve movie and uh, and uh, the unicorn says, oh, I just lost a shitload of money at the gambling because we got these Indian casinos out here. So apparently she's a gambler, and so she lost money. But she's also the one with the 30-second rebound rate, so I haven't had the heart yet to ask her. So how bad was the gambling loss? Was it a? Did you have to, like, open up your 30-second rebound rate to, like, a full minute now <laughs> or, or 24 hours or a week rebound? Are you over the gambling loss? I don't know. No, I, haven't, I didn't do any of that yet. That's the kind of shit I think of doing. But 
I, so I take, I take massive action. So I, can I take massive action? Am I capable of taking massive action? Absolutely, yes. I am fully capable of taking massive action. And you know why? Because I fucking say a lot of shit that I probably shouldn't say because I don't give a fuck. You know? So that's taking massive action. If I if I've smarted off and said, hey, how's that gambling loss? 30-second rebound rate? You know, it's funny. Ha ha. But it may not go over well. So I think I'll chill on that right now. I think I'll chill on the 30-second rebound rate to a large gambling loss. So I don't know if it's a $100 gambling loss, $500 gambling loss. I doubt it's a $1,000 gambling loss. But to her, it was significant enough to comment on it. So there you go. So massive action. I, my massive action comes in the form of the shit that comes out of my mouth. <laughs> so there you go. Massive action, people. So what am I doing with that? What am I appropriating something? A term that people like to use. But it's, an, it's a term that encourages you, right? Because we should all take massive action. And it may take, it's going to take different forms for each of us because we all need to take massive action in different areas. It's not just one type of massive action, it's multiples. So, yeah. So here's a house, I'm not sure if it's sold. It's getting a lot of work done on it. So you can see the new buyers or, or it's the, uh, the owner just, sprucing it up for sale so yeah 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 so i'm um, heading up home uh 94 year old mom's doing all right a little concerned about the she may have to move in 12 months while they renovate the building severe severe renovation uh, it's actually a full teardown and rebuild, but she may have to get moved. But she needs to chill. It's like not for 12 months. Huh? And they've agreed to like give her the same size room in the temporary housing. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. So lie 94, man. Yeah. This little great-grandson who's 10 weeks old with the heart surgery. Yeah, who knows? Maybe he'll live to 120. Oh, technology. Who knows? Next 500 years. We have to transform, not reform. Hey, I'm down with that. That's my message. Transform. Another framework, a good one, a good message. And, uh, oh yeah, I ran this morning, so got a run in, made it almost without stopping. Little, little walk in there, building up the endurance. But I like the lifting, 
lifting weights is key. So I'll continue to focus on that and build up this running as we go. So Saturday night, what's in it for you? You're the hero of your life. Um, I'm a fellow journey, journeyer with, with you in a internet, social media kind of way, which is kind of cool. And my only delving into the political today was on a Facebook thing about this silly impeachment thing we got going. And it's like, you know, Christians and like this Australian doctor or something and Christianity is like, you know, uh, rebuking American Christians like, oh, don't, you know, Jesus isn't on one side or the other, blah, 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 you know. And I'm like, yeah, cool, yeah. But he, he makes a mistake in his article that he says Paul would give a rebuke to American Christians. And I'm like, ah, doctor, doctor, I know you studied theology and very smart and original languages, but you stumbled into a person who's read the whole thing. And I know that Paul didn't give a shit about the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire was evil, awful, killing people, just terrible. And Paul couldn't give a shit about it, okay? So this Australian guy who thinks he's like, he's going to be super hip and he's going to you know, tell us American Christians like how to live, right? And uh, and he makes that fatal, fatal mistake to say that Paul would rebuke the American Christians. And he, he refers to a passage in 1st or 2nd Corinthians about leaders teaching falsely about Jesus or Sinai, about the faith. And that's the big error. Sorry, Dr. Theology, I'm not letting you get away with it. The problem is, Paul was talking about Judaism, Judaizers who wanted Gentiles to get circumcised, and it had nothing to do with the Roman Empire, so you're not using the scriptures correctly, even though you have a PhD in theology, and you're very smart, and your article is probably like 98% correct. But when you say that Paul would rebuke Americans, that's bullshit. So, because he wouldn't give a shit about it. And that's pretty much what we should do as Christians, too. We shouldn't give a shit about Democrat, Republican. And I pretty much don't. And what's ironic is Trump's not even a Republican. So he gets labeled a Republican, slammed as a Republican. He's just who he is. And isn't that what we all should be? Just be ourselves. Stop the labels. You know, there's so much labelizing, groupthink, you know, categorizing, evangelicals. Oh, my God. So much of that shit. So, anyways, that was my little political venture. And it, and it, uh, 
And I feel good because I can go toe to toe with some Australian PhD guy and say, dude, dude, I read this. I read it many, many times. In fact, not only did I read it, I know Paul's whole story. And Paul's whole story says he doesn't give a shit about Roman Empire. So all you American Christians, whether you're left or right, and you want to try to figure out what the biblical position is in politics, you ain't going to figure it out. It's not impossible. So that's the point. My point is we got to love everyone always. And politics is like way secondary, although so many of us, myself included in the past, cared more about it, you know, had more concern about it. But politics is bullshit. It's just kind of bullshitty, you know. It's God. There's a God out there, right? More powerful. Doesn't matter whether it's Obama. Doesn't matter whether it's Trump, Bush, Reagan. It's all bullshit. I mean, it's not bullshit, but it's just like, let it go, people. We got to live our lives. Go out and do something. And I'm speaking to myself, too. I got to go out and do something. But I'm not going to do it tonight. Because Saturday night, the sun's going down. Stars are starting to come out. Beautiful night. Enjoy. Enjoy the great relationship of grace and peace. Give grace. I have to give grace to these people that are still hung up on us and them. We're right. They're wrong. Tough. It's such a tough, such a tough thing to overcome. And that's a better direction to go in on the Gaussian curve is to get out in the outlier curve where you can be a Bob Goff, be an independent, just love people, even if they're Democrat, Republican. And don't even worry about like trying to figure out like, well, I really got the right position on it. Cause that, you know, it don't matter. It really doesn't matter. So I don't know if I pissed off any listeners. I don't know. I, I, I feel like I've evolved beyond, you know, these partisan shit. And I, I look at Germany and they have like multiple parties, which really America would be so much better off if we had like three or four parties and there was nobody dominant, like, you know, the stupid, well, I got 51% and you got 49, you suck, we're the better. It's such a stupid game. It'd be better if it'd be like 30, 30, 40 or something, you know? And then you have to make coalitions and it makes everybody smarter. It also gets rid of this stupid binary shit. But anyways, that's not the intent of the podcast. Is it? This is like one's one man's attitude towards unavoidable suffering. That's my meaning in life. <laughs> Thank you, Victor Frankel. All right. So go on with grace, peace, and mercy, and may you have a wonderful moment and lots of micro harmony and love. Amen. <laughs>